My father died when I was seven, leaving my mother a widow of seven children at the age of 49. She was a really great mom, but by the time I and my two older brothers were teenagers, she was beginning to wear a little thin. I was number seven, and my two older brothers were number six and five. I remember distinctly a night when we were all in our teenage years. We lived in a two-bedroom apartment with the three of us boys stacked up in a single room. This particular night, we just weren't interested in going to bed, much less to sleep. My mom in the other room had first asked, then urged, then warned us it was time to go to sleep. For whatever reason, we really wanted no part of that. Finally, at about midnight, the latch of the front door quietly shut. Now I've got to tell you, there wasn't one ounce of me that believed my mother would leave us. I mean, she was a great, great mom. But I knew she'd left the house at midnight. I was going to find her. I found her in the side yard of our apartment house. She was just sitting there quiet in the dark, looking up at the sky. I had no doubt what she was doing. She was getting help from our father. Of course, I don't mean dad. I meant her heavenly father. She'd reached the end of her rope with us three boys. As I read the next two prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, I think about my mama in that dark side yard, and I wonder if God the Father felt anything like that toward his kids, Jacob's children in the nation of Judah. He'd given them repeated warnings and sent prophets Joel, Micah, Isaiah, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk to warn them. But Judah didn't want any part of that. So from at least where I sit, as a student of the prophets, God pulled out all the stops. Like he did in the northern kingdom with Hosea, whom he told to go marry a harlot to represent their unfaithfulness to him, the God of Israel, God finds Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Jerry and Zeke, as his last two prophets to warn the kingdom of Judah before utter destruction was to fall on them as well. Jerry and Zeke, God's odd guys, both were sent to Judah and to their capital city, Jerusalem. Both served long term, Jeremiah for 40 years, Ezekiel for about 20. Both were utterly faithful, but essentially fruitless, and both ended up dying in a foreign land, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's look at Jerry first. God tells Jeremiah, I set you apart in your mother's womb to be a prophet in my name. When you read Jeremiah, you'll see that he was a sensitive man, and yet God grabs this sensitive guy in his mother's womb to send him on a steel-edged mission. He's given the label, the weeping prophet, the reluctant prophet, the lonely prophet. He proclaims this sticky note from God, last call to repent. This is the front door of heaven clicking. This is God's last attempt. The gracious God is running out of options. Jeremiah's 40-year ministry is met with scorn and mocking. When I see friends, I often ask them, hey, what's the good word for today? When people in Judah met Jeremiah in the morning, they asked, Hey, what's the weighty word from the Lord today, Jerry? For some reason, the entire nation of Judah was in denial that they were in trouble at all. Kind of reminds me of me and my brothers in that single bedroom on that fateful night back when I was a teen. Not surprisingly, he experienced extreme opposition from politicians. As you read Jeremiah, You'll see he brought his entire written prophecy to King Jehoiakim. After reading one or two columns of it, he cuts it up with a knife and tosses it into the fire. You'll understand how much work that involves when you see how big the Jeremiah scroll is. By the way, God said, Jeremiah, 
write it again. Can you imagine writing your biography and, and having your computer crash after forgetting to hit save? He didn't get any help from the other prophets in town either. They countered him on every front. When Jeremiah would preach a sermon on the coming destruction of Babylon, they'd preach a sermon on, do you remember Hezekiah and Sennacherib? And the angel of the Lord killing 185,000 Assyrians in one night? God is on our side, people. Jerry's just having a bad day. When Jeremiah goes to his hometown, they plot to kill him. Later, he's beaten by a prophet. He's put in stocks. And later still, thrown into the city sewer. Now you'll know what he means when he prays to God, You pulled me up out of the muck and mire and set my feet upon a rock. With his words falling on deaf ears and worse, God asks him to begin to live out his message, much like Hosea to the north. The first thing God asks him to do is get a new pair of underwear. You'll read about a linen belt, but it's next to his skin at his waist, so that makes it underwear. He's told to wear it and not change it for like a year. Then he's told to take it off, carry it prominently through the city of Jerusalem, take it off to Babylon and bury it in a cliff. When he gets back to Jerusalem, and that's no small walk, he's told to go back to Babylon and retrieve his skibbies, then to bring it home and show it off to the people. It was marred, not pretty. God then tells the lonely prophet, you can't marry, no wife. I want the people to know, bridal shops and stuff should probably shut down around here. There's not going to be any weddings soon in Jerusalem or Judea. Later, God asks him to build a yoke. That's that wooden bar that goes across the top of cows' shoulders when they pull a plow. He's commanded to put it on his shoulders and walk through the busy streets of Jerusalem. Can you imagine? Excuse me, excuse me, coming through, pardon me, excuse me. People wonder, what is that crazy Jerry doing with that yoke on his shoulders? Jerry tells them, soon you'll be put under yokes and hauled off to Babylon. You'll be treated like cattle doing their work in Babylon. God tells Jerry to go buy property. As he's buying it, he explains to them he won't be taking possession for a very long time. But someday, God's told him, he or his descendants will return to this land and he'll need that deed to settle back in. Jerry isn't all bad news, that's for sure. In chapter 23, he paraphrases and reminds people of the promise God gave to David. Here's what he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. That's quite a king. And then through the prophet Jeremiah, God gives us this gem, his fifth covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That should sound familiar. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. 
for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more, says the Lord. You might want to back the podcast up 30 seconds and listen to that again. That's stunning. God promises his people through Jeremiah, a day will come when they have a change of heart, a heart transplant. They'll have intimate fellowship with God. They'll know the Lord their God, and their sins will be no more. All the urgings of the prophets that the people of Judah have been rejecting will become a reality. We're going to leave Jerry for a moment, and we're going to move to Zeke. With Zeke, God really does let it fly. Before Zeke goes out and begins to minister as a prophet, God tells him, You see that scroll over there? It was probably the law of Moses. Eat it. No, I mean really. Chew it up and swallow. Zeke does it. He eats a scroll, possibly in front of the people of Jerusalem. Then God tells him to get a large brick. He's told to draw a sketch of the city of Jerusalem on the brick. Then God tells him to lie down in his side and play army men with it. Yep. Right there in the main arteries of Jerusalem, a grown man on his side playing army men, building siege ramps, and attacking the city in miniature. God tells him, every day, go to this spot for the first 390 days. Lay down on your left side all day. That represents God's judgment on the northern kingdom of Israel. And when that's done, go back for 40 more days and lay on your right side, representing God's judgment on the nation of Judah. That's 14 months, people, playing army men in the main city square. God says, you're going to need to have lunch those days, so here's what you'll do. Bring about a quart of water and enough flour and oil to make a tiny loaf of bread. I want you to bake your lunch over poop. That's right, dried poop for briquettes. And not just any poop, human poop. Ezekiel appeals to God's kindness and God says, all right, you can use animal poop. Is he odd enough for you yet? God then tells Ezekiel to shave all of his beard and cut off all his hair. Then after putting it into a pile, there in the main city square, he's to separate it perfectly into thirds, saving just a few hairs to tuck into his clothes. One third of the pile he's to burn. You smelled burning human hair lately? He's to take the second pile around the city and in various places stop and chop it up with a sword, Japanese steakhouse style. The last third, he's to walk around town, tossing it into the wind. Of course, the burning hair, he explains, represents God burning Jerusalem. The chopped up hair represents those the Babylonians will kill with the sword. And the hair thrown to the wind represents those taken into exile. Zeke, cut a hole in the wall of your house. When the nightlife is happening in Jerusalem, I want you to come out of that hole in your wall. Carry a knapsack of basics on a stick like you're running away. Then walk around Jerusalem carrying that runaway knapsack. I want you to do this every night. Of course, when people ask the crazy Zeke what he's doing, he explains, you, or at least our king, will be doing this someday, crawling through a hole in the wall in the middle of the night to escape the Babylonians. Perhaps the most tragic of all, one morning God tells Ezekiel, kiss your wife goodbye. The desire of your eyes will be dead by night. And hear this, Ezekiel. I need you to not cry. No tears. Not even any mourning. I want the people to know there'll come a time when everything that's most precious to them will be ripped away and they will not even be allowed to weep. Interspersed in Zeke's outrageous behavior are a series of vivid visions. Some of them are in spirituals. 
Ezekiel Saudi wheel way up in the middle of the air. And them bones, them bones, them dry bones. At other times, he communicates with vivid parables. In each of these cases, Zeke's actions and words are met with complete denial. Of course, we learned in Kings of the South, Jerusalem is taken by Nebuchadnezzar, and Ezekiel is taken away with them. Nebuchadnezzar comes back and lays siege to Jerusalem, and then destroys it. Which brings us back to Lamentations, our last major prophet. The word lamentation means to cry out loud. Lamentations, believe written by Jeremiah, are five poems, four of which are acrostics. This prophetic book, from beginning to end, is mourning over the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Compare the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple to Exodus 15, when God's people were birthed as a nation. Do you remember that? There on the other side of the Red Sea, a baby nation has come out of Egypt after ten powerful contractions of God. They're freed from 400 years of slavery. They're supernaturally delivered by God, and they burst into exuberant praise. But now, watching the Babylonians cut a third of the population down with a sword, destroy the city and the temple, and haul their relatives east toward Babylon, we see a nation that's crushed, led into slavery, and judged by their God. Lamentations is five long, crushing chapters of grief over what is, what was, and what could have been. This will not be the only time lamentations like this will be made over Jerusalem. Almost six centuries later, Jesus stands on a perch overlooking Jerusalem, and he states this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together. In a way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are unwilling. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. But with the God who made us and wants his children back, there's always hope. Dead center in the middle of Lamentations, in the middle of the third poem, the writer sucks back the tears and says this, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him, for the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. The sticky note for Lamentations? I'm still here delivering you. The Babylonians gave Jeremiah a choice to come to Babylon or stay in Jerusalem. Not surprisingly, this sensitive prophet chose to stay and destroy Jerusalem with those left behind, those very people who mocked him throughout his ministry. Shortly after, Gedaliah, the puppet governor of Babylon, was assassinated and the rebels kidnapped Jeremiah and took him to Egypt. There in Egypt, faithful Jeremiah continued to plug along with his pronouncements against all the nations around Israel and Judah, I'm guessing with tears in his eyes. As for Zeke, I mentioned he was taken to Babylon. There, he becomes the pastor of these exiles from Judah. The last third of the book of Ezekiel is written to the exiles in Babylon. Zeke becomes their pastor, and once in Babylon, he turns to the prophet of hope. In fact, that's his sticky note. Hang on to hope. Hang on to hope, people. You'll read him describe a future 
a glorious future, a temple, real priests, and real worship, God's people back in the land, and best of all, the glory of God returning once again. There in Babylon, we thank Pastor Zeke, got to know another very special captive of Judah, and a very important character in the Old Testament. His name was Daniel, and we'll hear his story in our next word picture.